I left you with a question. I don't think I, I asked the question to anyone as I, as I milled about, and I guess I should do that. The thing that uh, I found that was so amazing about the, the love of God was that He still loves me even though He knows everything about me. And that's probably the only person in the world. I mean, you know, I mean God's, you know, if, he, if you can call Him a person, who knows everything about me and still loves me, you know? Um, Loves me more than I love myself. I mean, Paul, the apostle, tells us, tell, speaks this way. He says, I don't even judge myself. Now, the reason he doesn't judge himself is that he would be wrong. When God looks at, if, if you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, God looks upon you and sees the blood of his son. And he sees, and he's justified, clean, okay? And we look at, and we have a tendency to look, look in the mirror and realize that, you know, we have all the memories we have all the things that we think about and, and, and you might say self-loathing, self-hatred, whatever, however it comes, all the mistakes, da-da-da-da-da-da. And that's, that's how humans are. God's not like that. He chooses to forget. It says he takes your sin and casts it as far as the east is from the west. Now, we're not talking about the world. It's like the big east, the big, big west. And it's gone. Puts it in a place of forgetfulness. So you stand justified with him. Now, uh, if, if, we, if we step into the story again, that's what I like to do. Because at, on, on, in the last few weeks, I've been, I've been on, in a series, surprised by ingratitude, surprised by this, surprised by that. Well, today it's surprised by an empty tomb. Okay? And the disciples really were surprised by the empty tomb. Now, we have, the, we have the ability and, and the privilege of having the book in our hand and reading the whole story, okay? We have that privilege, even though, even though these things were in scriptures, uh, without going into last week's message or uh, Friday night's message, the truth is uh, we have a tendency to skip over the things we don't get or we don't understand or we don't want to hear, Right? Yeah, ever hear that? I mean, you go and you, 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 you make a purchase and you sign the contract and then something happens and they say, well, this is the way it was. You sign that contract and you have to dig it out and listen, really? Okay, you missed it. Well, the same thing is true when it comes to our relationship with God, our relationship with faith. We have a tendency to gravitate to the things we, that, that we get or that we want. And sometimes we miss the things that God wants to speak to us. Or we just say, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you know? Okay? We do that. I mean, has, have you ever done that to God? I, I know I have. Uh, there are times when He speaks hard things to me. And uh, I don't want to hear Him. Or I, I think, you know, I think, God, I don't know how I can do that. I don't know how I can be that. You know? Um, a little bit like the disciples when they... Uh, when they uh, on, the, on the occasion that Jesus said to them, he's speaking to the crowd, he had a pretty good following at this point. I mean, and he just, in, in some respects, people would have thought, well, he really blew it today. Because he looked at this huge crowd, he had this huge crowd following him, and he said simply, unless you eat of the, of the flesh of the blood of, uh, of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no part in him. And then, you know, his PR guy said, oh, no. Because he saw people begin to drift away. And, and, the, and, the, and the response was so, was so great in, in a negative sense that uh, Jesus turned to his, his primary followers and said, you're going to leave me too? 
Now, you would have thought that they could have understood, but they said, well, where are we going to go? We know that you have the words of eternal life and we believe you're the Christ. But they felt short of saying, oh, we get it. We understand what you just said and we're good with that. Okay? The truth is God says things to us that are sometimes hard. And historically, as we follow the story, okay, we follow the story, um, it was a pretty eventful week in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Okay? Last Sunday, he rode into Jerusalem amidst the rejoicing of his followers, palms waving, cloaks throwing, you know, they're taking, taking their Armani suits and throwing them down on the, on the dusty trail as, as, <laughs> as, I don't know, did they have Armani? I doubt that. Anyway, uh, as, as he rode into Jerusalem, uh, very much like um, a conquering king would enter a city, but, but since then, some people had the perspective of, I mean, if you, if, you, if you follow the story, they would have said, well, it just didn't happen for them, okay? All their expectations, the expectations of the kingdom and everything, it just didn't happen for them. And some, uh, some would say that Jesus and his disciples kind of hit the wall, okay? This is the story of the week. And in a sense, the synopsis of the week was, the ride, the ride into Jerusalem, Jesus went in and cleaned up the courts, the temple courts again. He, he, I mean, it wasn't a broom. He actually made more of a mess. He knocked over tables. He drove out the, 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 the pigeons and the doves and the goats. Whatever they had, they're selling in, in the temple for sacrifice. He, just, he took, a, he took a, a, a whip. He made a whip and he began to drive them out. I, I think he hit, hit more than just the animals too that day. He looked around after he had done this, and he went out, he left. Then he had an end times conversation with his disciples. I mean, his disciples came to him, you know, they didn't, I'm sure they, you could see some awkwardness. If, if you read between the lines as you read through the Gospels, you see some awkwardness because, okay, I thought we were going to, in a sense, they were thinking that Jesus was going to set up his kingdom there. Didn't happen. So they're wondering, if I was them, I'd have been, okay, what's next? And as they were walking through, his disciples said to him, Hey, look at all these great, you know, this, this is a beautiful temple. Da, 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 da. Isn't the architecture wonderful? It's, it, you know, it's post, uh, post-Solomonic or whatever. I don't know. And, and Jesus answered them with, you know, very, very, very shortly, he said, There won't be one stone left on another. You know, talk about raining on the parade. There won't be one stone left upon another. And he had this, and, and they got it. They understood that this was talking about end times. And so they had this conversation. So tell us, Jesus, when this is going to happen. And this is recorded in the 24th chapter of, of Matthew. Okay? Uh, later on, they had the prep, preparations for the Passover meal. This was the third Passover meal that Jesus ate with his disciples. Now, most of us don't get it because we're, we're, you know, we live here, we're Gentiles, we're, you know, we're Christians, and, and there's been division that's taken place over the years. But in reality, I mean, think about Christmas. Think about how important that may be to you and to your family. That was Passover for them. Not the same symbolism, but the same emotions, the same importance that, 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 that was laid. So this third Passover meal, they had the Passover meal, and this was a little different because he called out Judas, he called out a few others, and there was some, there was some stuff that took place around the table. Like, uh, and Jesus was talking about, hey, you know, you're all going to leave me tonight. And Peter was making, you know, he was posturing. 
You know, and he didn't say, say it this way. I, you know, if, if we came into 2013 and guys were sitting around the table and, 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 and our leader was saying, well, you're going to leave me tonight, you're going to betray me, da-da-da-da, you know, somebody would puff up and say, like Peter, these other slobs may leave you, but I'll die with you, okay? Huh? I mean, I don't want to be coarse or crass, but that's how we, we are, Right? The, other, the others might, might fail you, but I won't fail you, God. I won't fail you, Jesus. And Jesus told him, says, guess what? Before the crow, the crow wakes anybody up in the morning, he'll deny me three times. These are the kinds of things that went on to the Passover meal. Then they went from the Passover meal to the garden. And, and, and Jesus looked at them and said, look, I want you to pray that you enter not into temptation. They're not getting it. They just had a meal. And what do you do after a nice meal and a celebration? Nap time, right? And, and that's what happened to them. I mean, uh, Jesus went off uh, about a stone's distance from his disciples. He began to pray. And this was a difficult prayer, tough prayer. In fact, it says he was sweating blood. And the, the context was he knew what was going to happen. He knew that he was going to be tried. He was going, he's, he'd been, he's been talking about this all through the latter part of, of the book of John. And in this meal, he says, this is, my time has come. My time has come. And they still didn't get it because they didn't want to hear this bad stuff, you know? You know, so you ever hear somebody that says, hey, don't say that. Like that's going to make it happen anyway if you say it. I won't go there. I'm praying in the garden. And he, and he fought his way through this prayer. And, 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 he, and, and when he finished praying, it was, it was like this. It was, God, is, Father, is there another route? Do you have a plan B? You know? Do I really have to die? He didn't say these things, but it's right there. It's there. And this is, a, this is, this is his humanity asserting itself as he, as he kneels in the garden against the rock, knowing that this is it. This is the last Passover. This is the last day. He knew what he was going to, to, to encounter in the, next, in the next few hours of sleeplessness. And he prayed. He finally prayed, but not my will, but thine be done. He got up there, and all of a sudden the people came around. They, they came at him with torches. His, uh, uh, the Romans and the, and the temple guard, and it was dark. There, were no, there weren't any street lights back there. It was, it was a garden, and Jesus met them, and they said, uh, and he said to them, Who do you seek? And, he said, and they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. And down they went. That's pretty amazing, huh? What's amazing about it is they got up and still took him anyway. I think if I'd been in the presence of God, who kind of like in, in his presence I had simply collapsed at his feet, I don't think I would have been so, uh, uh, so excited about the, the original plan to take him away to trial. But that's what happened. And while he was abandoned, he was betrayed by his closest friends and allies. He went to and was, was, uh, was tried. He was put un, under, he was tried by Herod and by Pilate and the high priesthood. He suffered beating and humiliation. They stripped him. I know we clothe Jesus on the cross. We, you know? 
But he wasn't clothed there. He was hanging out there for the whole the world to see. His, his, his maleness, his humanity, beaten. The scripture tells us that they did, his friends didn't even recognize him. He was so bruised and battered. The closest thing, and, and I was talking to a friend this week about that, uh, that Mel Gibson movie, the one where they, they just, just beat the living daylights out of, out of Jesus with, with, with a cat of nine tails, and they bruised him, spit on him. I mean, I, I, and I, I shared with my friend, I said, I can only watch that once. I did watch it twice, but only because I had to bring my wife to that. I, it, it's hard. It's hard. That's probably, probably the most accurate rendering that you and I have ever seen. The middle-aged paintings that we see and the, the artwork is, is, is really cleaned up. It was a brutal event. They crucified him and they put him in the grave. And anyone looking on, anyone looking on and seeing this take place would have simply come to the conclusion that in, a, in the space of about a week that the wheels had simply come off on this new religious movement led by Jesus. But you and I know that that wasn't the end of the story. Let me share with you. Because he was crucified, they killed him. They were going to break his legs, but he was already dead. They shoved a sword in his side or a spear. And we find in John 19, verses 38, we see some other things begin to happen. It says, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, he was also part of the, the mem- he was a member of the Sanhedrin, one of the 70 ruling elders of, 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 of Israel. He was a secret one because he was a secret disciple of Jesus because of the, the Jews. He asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. So he came away and took his body, and Nicodemus, who had come to Jesus by night, he was also in this, uh, 70, this class of 70 ruling elders. Uh, who was, he, he came to him by night, also came bringing a mixture of, of myrrh and aloes, uh, about 100 pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and then that in the garden, a new tomb which, had, which no one had ever been laid. Therefore, because it was the Jewish day of preparation, because the tomb was nearby, they they laid Jesus there. Now, we understand that he went into the grave on Friday, and on the third day he rose again. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, three, boom. Uh, We understand that. But what took place in the interim? We understand that the disciples were like in negative Gs. They didn't know what 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 to do. They didn't understand. I mean, it's like... Uh, it's, their world had come crashing down. They had run. They had hid. In other words, when the, when the crowds came, the, the, the crucifixion, all these things that happened to Jesus, they just kind of went into confusion. And they went into hiding. And they weren't moving around because it was the Sabbath. Okay? But in, the, in that time, while the disciples were doing this, and you might say the... the, the the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the Romans, whoever, whoever was involved on the other side in the crucifixion and the trials of Jesus, I mean, they just did their deal. They had the Passover, they had all the celebrations and stuff. This, this kind of dirty little 
Jesus thing had, had simply been something that they had neatly, well, kind of neatly tucked away and finished with, at least so they thought. But in the meantime, this, this is what was happening while Jesus was in the grave. But there were other things that happened. You think that Jesus was just sleeping there. Now, in 1 Peter, we, 1 Peter and Ephesians 4, we, see, we begin to see what God is doing through, in the interim. 1 Peter 3, 18, he says, For Christ also died for the sins once and for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. Whoa, he went somewhere and made proclamation, preached, or presented his salvation, perhaps, to the spirits now in prison who were once disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah. Now, we're going all the way back. Here is God not forgetting even those people back then. Held in prison. Now, people say, what do you mean held in prison? Do you know that Satan had the keys of hell, death, and the grave? It was kind of part of the deal there, if you understand theologically. And a place called paradise, which was, and, and, and you, can, you can research this, the place of paradise was the place where the, 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 the dead believers went in the Old Testament. But they were still under the dominion of death and Satan. All right. So he went there. You, you just have to trust me that it's there in Scripture, right? Because he said when, when a person died in the Old Testament, where'd they go? Well, they went to paradise. And you see this, who were once disobedience when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which, in which a few, that is, eight persons were brought safely through the water. Now, Ephesians 4 tells us a little bit more about what Jesus was doing during that, during that interim period where we saw him go into the grave and resurrection morning has not taken place. It says, therefore, in verse 8, when he ascended on high, he led captive, a host of captives, and gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? You catch this. So God was, Jesus was, he went into, he went into that, he went into hell. You know, all of a sudden, the one they thought was conquered becomes the conqueror, you know? Isn't death supposed to be the end of all things, right? We win. He died, we win. The enemy isn't that the way, that's the way they thought it would happen. But there was something more powerful, powerful here that they didn't understand. Jesus said to his disciples, at least on one occasion, no one takes my life, I lay it down and I have the power to pick it back up again. Amazing. We've never seen the light, but that's not new. No one had ever seen someone open the eyes of the blind, but Jesus did it. No one had ever seen someone, uh, you might say, uh, cleanse, uh, really, I mean, do all of the things that he had done in the, in the, in the New Testament, brought people back to life. They'd never seen that before. So this was, this was not, the God of the ages was there. They, they didn't get it. The creator God, in, in, the, in, the first, in, the, in the first chapter of the book of John, we see that Jesus himself was there present and created all things. So here we have the creator God. They didn't know that. I mean, the, even the Herod Pilate, they, they, they would question Jesus. Tell us, are you the Christ? And he said, I am. What was their response? Blasphemy. They didn't want to know. They were just trying to, trying to, trying to catch him in something. But he was telling them the truth. Meanwhile, 
Back among the living, the disciples cowered behind closed doors, formulating plans, waiting for the dawn and for the end of the Sabbath so they could get out and move out. John 20, now here we we start the passage. John 20, verse 1, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark. Okay? The, The Sabbath is over. So he ran, uh, he, she came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. So Peter and, and, and the, the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb and the two were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. I don't know why that's even in there. Yeah, One got there uh, more quickly than the other. And stooping in and looking, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so when Simon Peter came, uh, following him, he entered the tomb and he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head, on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb he also entered and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary, and I love this part of the story, but Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stood and looked into the tomb and she saw angel, two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been laid. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking, supposing him to be the gardener? She said to him, sir, if you've taken him and carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary... <laughs> she, t- she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said stop, to her, Stop clinging to, to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father, and to your Father, and my God, and your God. And Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. <laughs> and that he had said these things to her. So when it was evening on the first day, and when the doors were shut, Jesus visited them, and we see this. We see this passage. And over and over and over, we see his disciples. You know, I don't know how many times, I guess uh, it's, it's recorded here, how many times that Jesus revealed himself to his disciples? There's a whole bunch of them. Now, what does all this mean? Now, to us... Now, that Jesus is not dead. He was not just a, a, a religious leader that just kind of like got thumped and it's over, you know? It was like uh, there are people like, like Sung Young Moon, different, different folks that claim to be someone and when they died, they died. Okay? Kind of almost the end of the story, at least, at least in this context it would have been. But for us, what does it mean that Jesus, Jesus is alive? Okay, well... Uh, if your hope and your trust is in Jesus, then your hope and your trust is in the living God. It's good stuff. And it's, it's, it's that same hope and trust. 
uh, in the one who overcame sin and has power over death, too. Not only did he overcome sin, he has power over death. Now, I'm not sure what this, how to, I, I thought about this this morning. I'm not, I'm not going to make any theological th- statements on this, but I went to bed and I don't think much learning hath made me mad or anything like that. But I, I remember we laid down last night and, uh, um, and as I slept, uh, Valley, Valley went out first, I was still reading, and I laid my head back and I went to sleep. And, and I, was, I guess I was dreaming. Again, this is not a theological point, but just an experience. Uh, I, was, I was laying there, and I, and I felt myself being pulled out of my body. And I literally, I remember thinking, I said, God, are you taking me home? I said, won't Valley be surprised? <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like, she rolls over, says, okay, time to preach. I said, now you're going to find somebody else. Yeah, okay. It's, it's Easter Sunday morning. And I, but the, the, the thought I had, the, I had that fleeting thought. Like, well, what about this? No, no, I'm gone. Literally, and I felt myself floating up, and it was kind of cool. I was into the flying thing. I, I thought that was really great. And uh, even, even if it was just a dream, but I, you know, and, and, and I approached the wall. I said, I wonder if I'm going to slip right through it. I did. I did. And this is cool. I went out and went through a couple of walls and out, and, and I could see the forest and stuff. And I was saying, God, tune this in. I'd like to see a little bit better. And all of a sudden, I was going back, and I felt myself settle back down. And I, and I looked around, I was in the bed again. Okay? Now, again, what's the, what do you make of that? I really thought he was taking me home. I said, you know, I thought I was a pretty healthy guy, but, but if, if not, I'm gone, you know? And I was okay with that. Like I said, I'm not going to make a big thing of that, but we have the promise of everlasting life. He says, he, says to us, he says to us in Scripture, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The, the, I think the thing that I would, would, would say to you about that little like, dream experience that I had, if that's what it was, was that I realized that I was ready, man. And I was ready to go. If he chose to call me on that, and I knew Valley would be surprised. I knew that there would be some... But I was okay with that. I was ready to go. You know? And... Uh, it was kind of a fun experience. Now, the other thing that this passage means, and all the things that I've been sharing with you, and we need to understand this, is that when life is over, it's not over. I, I recognize there are a lot of people who said, no, 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 when you die, you just sleep. No. When it's over, it's, it's not over. Jesus said, I am the resurrection of life, and if you believe in me, you will live forever. It's what he says. Live forever. What else, what else does it mean? That everything Jesus said was true. When he said, I'm the resurrection and life, he who believes in me will live, for, live even if he dies. And when he said in John 14, in my Father's house are many dwelling places, many places for you. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. The cool thing is, is he looks at you and me and says, I have a place for you. I have a place for you. You know, you, you might think, in, in our limited understanding of life, and, and we look around our, our, our cities and our, 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 our countries and we say, wow, you know, 
How many people? Is there really room? God created the universe. He's made, and, and, and the cool thing is not just that he's made all these things for us, but he's made room for you. The, the one who said, even the hairs on your head are numbered. I know you that well. Even though you can't know you that well, I know you that well. God has the capacity to keep it all sorted out. It's way beyond me. It's where faith comes in. But he says, I go to prepare a place for you. In other words, I have a place for you. Yeah? Some, would, some, some would say, well, what will you do with this information, Pastor? Or, and as, as I look out, uh, you know, we've got people who are believers, people who are here because of family, etc. I, I don't know. I don't know where you are with God. Some of you I do. Some of you I don't. Um, you might say, nice story, Pastor. We hear it every Easter. I was thinking about the guy who, who said, you know, Pastor, I wish you'd come up with more sermons. Every time I come, it's either Jesus got born or he's, he's, he, he was raised from the dead. I wish you'd come up with some more sermons. <laughs> what will you do? Nice story. Here every Easter. If you're a Christian, you've got something to rejoice about. You have something to rejoice about, to be happy about. If you're not a Christian, you can decide today, right here and now, to believe, to accept Christ, to trust Him, and to give your life, with him, life to Him. It's not hard, but it is hard, isn't it? Not hard, but it is hard. You come to the place where you make that decision, that choice. You've heard me talk about the choices I've made. Some of them have not been really great choices, but I remember the night that, that I I'd kind of like had it up to here with sin and the world and all the other things that I was pursuing. And, and someone was preaching, found myself in a, in, a, in a chapel, a second tank battalion chapel at Camp Hansen in Okinawa, Japan. I was, I was a young jarhead. Young Marine, yeah, yeah, woo. <laughs> yeah, we got more. I've got, I've got, I've got a team here, right? Yeah. And, uh, and I, remember, I remember sitting there listening. I said, you know, I've done all the things I, you know, I've tried about everything. Really hadn't, but I'd, had, I'd tried enough to where I was up to here. I said, I'm going to give God a shot. And he turned everything upside down in my life, changed everything. So, you know, um, if you're not a Christian, you can have that today. You can experience what we, what the, the Greek word is zoe, resurrection life. See, it's not just when we get through this life that we begin to experience the resurrection of Jesus. When we accept him into our lives, when we embrace him and decide that I want this Jesus to be my savior, what happens is the Holy Spirit comes in and we begin to experience some other things inside and he begins to shift and change us. There's joy, there's peace, there's forgiveness. All the things that you have done have been washed away and cleansed. You feel, you experience the the weight of those things uh, coming off of your spirit. You know His presence. You hear His voice. See? I can't tell you how exactly all that will happen with you. But I remember how it happened with me. The next day, the next morning, some of you have heard this before, the next morning, I just went back to the barracks. I think I was a PFC. Just like really close to the bottom, but not exactly there. <laughs> you have privates on the bottom, then, then there's a PFC. It's like an inch above that. 
and I, you know, we went back, and, and 5.15, they, they made us they step out. Uh, okay, it's PT times. Monday morning, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we're going to go out there, and we're going to exercise and yell and scream. And then after we sweat a while, it's, it's Okinawa, it's April, we're going to form up in, in, in these, like this formation, and we're going to run around the base, I don't know, two, three miles, and we're going to sing songs, uh, male testosterone songs, you know? <laughs> All that, you know, uh, uh, yeah, all that stuff. And, and, okay, and, and we're singing, and we're, 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 and we're singing, and, and you know, and, and this is the 70s, so it was crazy. You know, the culture was crazy. Black people hated white people. White people hated black people. Uh, Puerto Ricans hated white people. I mean, everybody hated everybody. Drugs was everywhere, and drinking was crazy, and it was nuts. And we, we were in formation, so every, we had guys I'd running. We were running and chanting and sweating, and guys were, you know, could I, they were losing last night's stuff and cussing and all this stuff. But in the midst of that, God touched me. I didn't see it coming. You ever been slapped in the back of the head and you didn't see it coming? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dad says, oh, da, da. <laughs> time out, time out. <laughs> well, God, in, in his own way, slapped me in the back of the head, but it was very very amazing and pleasurable. All of a sudden, I began to weep as we ran, singing these songs. It's kind of an unlikely place to weep. And all of a sudden, I felt all new again. I mean, I, 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 if I could bottle this, man, okay? But you can't. It's free. It's for you. That was the experience. That was the beginning. I felt my sins lifted. I knew he had done that. But all of a sudden, he began to fill me with his spirit, and I began to understand things. All in the, all in the midst, while everybody around me was shouting and saying other, ugly, ugly things, God was, in that present, God was present in that. See? That's Zoe. That's a taste of resurrection life. One of the things that, 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 that we see in Scripture is that there comes a time when, 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 when God steps into the clouds and he says, Come up here! And he's calling his spirit. And where his spirit? We've got to go with him. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I want to tell you, I want to read you a story. This is not my story, and I may have, you may have read it, and it, I heard Jim Cimbala uh, relate this. He's a pastor down in, you probably, probably heard of Brooklyn Tabernacle. Okay? It was a really, really raunchy place, little nobody's there. God called Jim Simbola there. And he began, and, and, and the rest is history, but he, preach, he preaches at a, at a church in the slums of New York. This is, I didn't write this. He tells the story. It was Easter Sunday, and I was so tired at the end of the day, I just went to the edge of the platform, pulled down my tie, sat down and draped my feet over the edge, as, as I've done that here. It was a wonderful service with many people coming forward. The counselors were talking with people. As I was sitting there, I looked up the middle aisle, and there in about the third row was a man who looked about 50. Disabled, disheveled, he was filthy. He looked at me rather sheepishly as if, if saying, could I talk to you? He, we have homeless people coming in all the time asking for money or whatever. So I sat there. I, as I sat there, I said to myself, though I'm ashamed of it, what a way to end a Sunday. I've had such a good time preaching and ministering, and here's a fellow probably wanting some money for more wine. 
He walked up. When he got within five feet of me, I smelled a horrible smell like I'd never smelled in my life. It was, it was so awful that when he got close, I would, ex, I would inhale by looking away. And then, I'd, and then I'd talk to him, and then I'd look away to inhale because I couldn't inhale facing him. I asked him, what's your name? David, he said. How long have you been on the street? Six years. How old are you? Thirty-two. He looked fifty. Hair matted. Front teeth were missing. Why no? Eyes slightly glazed. Where did you sleep last night, David? Abandoned truck. I keep in my back pocket a money clip that also holds some credit cards. I fumbled to pick one out thinking, I'll give him some money. I won't even get a volunteer. They're all busy talking to others. Usually, we don't give money to people. We just give them something to eat. I took the money out. David pushed his finger in front of me and said, I don't want your money. I want this Jesus. <laughs> the one you were talking about because I'm not going to make it. I'm going to die on the street. And I, for, I, I completely forgot about David and I started to weep for myself. I was going to give a couple of dollars to someone whom God had sent to me. See how easy it is? I could make the excuse I was tired. There's no excuse. I was not seeing him the way God sees him. I was not feeling what God feels, but oh, did that change. David just stood there. He didn't know what was happening. I pleaded with God, God, forgive me. Forgive me. Please forgive me. I'm so sorry to represent you this way. I'm so sorry. Here I am with my message and my points, and you send somebody, and I'm not ready for it. Oh, God. Something came over me. Suddenly, I started to weep deeper, and David began to weep, and he fell against my chest as I was sitting there. He fell against my white shirt and tie, and I put my arms around him, and there we wept on each other. The smell of this person became a beautiful aroma. Here is what I thought the Lord made real to me. If you don't love this smell, I can't use you. Because this is why I called you where you are. This is what you are about. You're about this smell. Christ changed David's life. He started memorizing portions of scripture that were incredible. We got him a place to live. We, we hired him in the church to do maintenance. We got his teeth fixed. He was a handsome man. When he came out of the hospital, they detoxed him in six days. He spent Thanksgiving at my house. He also spent Christmas at my house. We were exchanging presents. And he pulled out a little, one little thing out and said, this is for you. It was a little white hanky. It was, all, it was the only thing he could afford. A year later, David got up and talked about his conversion to Christ. The minute he took the mic and began to speak, I said, this man's a preacher. This past Easter, we ordained David. He's an associate minister of our church over in New Jersey. And I was so close to saying, here, take this. I'm a busy preacher. We can really be full of ourselves. <laughs> now, we enjoy God's blessing. I want you to know that Jesus still rolls the stone away from the tomb and calls people out. Jesus still is master over the grave. 
Not only on this occasion, I remember on, on other occasions that Jesus visited a man. I'm sure he knew exactly where he was going. They pulled the little boat up on a shore, and there was a man who was running naked in a graveyard, filled with demons, cut himself with rocks, and would scream at night during the day. People avoided the graveyard. People avoided this man. That's natural. We understand that. But Jesus didn't avoid him. Put him in his right mind, put clothes on him, drove the demons out, gave him life. It's what the church is about, folks. Do you know that God has put that same power within you? Today, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, we can celebrate the resurrection life that he places within us when we say yes to him. Brother, sister, man, woman, child, don't know where you are in this. You've ever given your life to Christ. Maybe you're just kind of out there, you're doing your own thing, but you're finding progressively that it's just taking life away from you. It's destroying you. It's taking everything God would have. And God says, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me, I'll give you life. And just to prove my point, I'll come out of the grave and bring you with me. Bring you with me. That's what we celebrate. We don't celebrate religion. We don't celebrate that we have X number of churches throughout, throughout this city and throughout this country. And throughout, it, you know, all of those things have their meaning someplace else. But what, we, but what we celebrate is that God has the power. And not only does he have the power, he has the love to come and seek you and find you where you are. And in spite of, of, of the mistakes you've made, despite of how you've perhaps even shaken your, face and, shaken your fist in his face or walked away from him, his love never fails. He keeps coming. He keeps coming. He does not give up on you. He loves you and he has made a place for you. He will place his spirit within you. He will take away your sins. He will cleanse you. And when this life is in your life, life's going to get a whole lot better. And when all this is said and done, he will lift you off your bed and carry you through the walls and take you to a place where you will see friends and family and you will experience his face and the glory of his presence and there will be a joy in you that is unspeakable. Stand with me. Musicians, come. Hallelujah. 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 If you're living in sin, and you know you're living in sin, find a place at the altar and ask God to forgive you. If, if your life is not where it needs to be with Jesus, find a place at the altar. Okay? Whatever, whatever, whatever the, you know, and you say, well, somebody's looking at me. God's watching you. He rejoices when you, angels rejoice. When you give yourself to Him. Angels, that's why we're here. Not everybody goes to heaven. In spite of what you hear at, at, when, when there's a funeral. You know? People trying to comfort. 
family members and stuff. Not everybody, not everybody makes the trip. Jesus said it this way. Unless you believe that I am He, you'll die in your sins. But you don't have to. You don't have to. He is here for you. He's here for you. It's not Catholic. It's not Protestant. It's not Pentecostal. It's not Methodist. It's not this. I remember I had a friend. His name was Tim Hogan. He was a Catholic priest. I think he was a Jesuit. He and I worked together in Naples, Italy. And uh, Tim and I, Tim and I, we, we took, a, took the Catholics and the Protestants and everybody up. We went to, went to Assisi. You've heard of Assisi, St. Francis of Assisi. And we had Thanksgiving together. <laughs> we, we had turkey and dressing and all the tremens. The only thing we didn't have was football. We were in Italy. You know? I guess somebody could have pulled a soccer ball out and said, let's pretend. I remember the, the, the morning of Thanksgiving started out, of course, the Catholic folks. I mean, St. Francis Basilica was up the street and the, his tomb was in the basement. And Tim, of course, you know, he probably broke all the rules, said, Bill, I want you to come and pray. I want you to come and read Scripture. I want you to pray. So we went and did that together. I remember we had a, a young Southern Baptist pastor or chaplain that we used as a youth pastor for the, for the chapel community. All the military people would come together. And of course, he's a Southern Baptist. He's telling the kids, accept Jesus. Accept Jesus. You've got to accept Jesus to be saved. The Catholic community, they're, they're not used, quite used to that language. They, confirmation and CCD and all the other stuff. So they went in kind of like in mass and, and, we're, and we're going to the priest, Tim Hogan, a friend of mine, and, he, and they said, he's telling them that they must accept Jesus. And he looked at him and said, you do. You do. You can, you can check all the other blocks if you want. But it's when you accept Jesus that the Holy Spirit comes in and does a work from the inside out. Anything else is I've just kind of taken my flesh and reformed it. And I've learned all these things and I can quote them. See, God's looking to change your heart. And that doesn't belong to any church. That belongs to Jesus. It's always a part of His plan. See, Humanity, humanity was, 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 was on his face. The scripture tells us that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. The Israelites, year after year, would, would kill animals as an atonement for their sins. But there came a day when John the Baptist stood by the, by the river Jordan and pointed at his at, at Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, our Passover Lamb. Jesus, our Passover Lamb. Jesus. When you come to Him, everything else begins to make sense. When you give your life to Him, everything else begins to make sense. When you come to Him, it's not about joining this church or that church, it's about coming to Him.
We're going to worship. Have you come to Him? It's Easter. What a great day to do it. It's Resurrection Sunday. You can experience His joy. You can experience the kind of stuff that will make you dance without a drink. Jesus. 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 No labels, just Jesus. No labels, no denominations, just Jesus. Just Jesus. He said, come to me. He says, you've got to be born again. That's what he said. Jesus said that. Let's worship. If you're here, could everybody cl- close their eyes, bow their heads, nobody looking around? Is that you? Have I been talking to you? You've never really given your life to Jesus. You've done all kinds of other things. You've been religious. Maybe not even been religious, but you've never given your, your life to Jesus. Never. But you want to today. Or you're thinking you want to today. No one's looking around. Please, could I see your hand? If that's you today, you want to give your life to Jesus today. Anyone? Anyone? Anyone?